Isn't it good when God turns up? Unfortunately, looking at my watch, I see he, he does not respect our timetable. <laughs> but that is good. We cannot confine God to our little kind of, we'll do two slow songs, two fast songs, and then someone will speak for a little bit, and then we'll go and have coffee and slap each other on the back. God doesn't work that way. So, thank you, God. So, what I'm going to do is give you a slightly condensed version of what I was going to give you. Um, This morning, we are looking at Adam and Eve, the uh, first people in history not to read Apple's terms and conditions properly. Oh, yeah. Uh, So, if you could turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis 3, verses 1 to 5. Here we go. If you've got a Bible, read along. If you haven't, don't worry about it. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must must not touch it or else you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. There we go. Short piece of scripture, but so much in there. This story has some very clear elements. Uh, Each of these elements has a lot of significance. Firstly, there's the garden, the bounty and abundance of God's creation given as a gift to his children. The woman made in the image of God with man, to live under God's covering in the provision and blessed abundance of of the garden. The tree of knowledge and good and evil. The single discipline that God placed on mankind as a simple act of obedience. I mean, I can't imagine living in a world where the only thing I could possibly do to offend God was eat an apple from a tree. They had no idea how good they had it, clearly. Uh, Then there is the snake, Now, the crux of this story is that God made man to rule over creation. We read that earlier on in the Genesis story. Um, But by failing to rule themselves first, Adam and Eve became overruled by Satan. The serpent himself is a tempter, an underminer, an expression of the creation that they failed to rule over. So, now we've met the players in this piece... The first thing we need to question is this. Is this something, is this story something that actually happened, or is it just figurative? Are we to believe that a snake actually spoke to a woman in a physical location called Eden? Well, to answer that question, I would like to read a small section to you from the Believer's Bible Commentary. And it goes a little something like this. Those who seek to demythologize the Bible believe that this account of the fall is allegorical and not literal. They cite the talking serpent as proof. Can the story of the serpent deceiving Eve be accepted as factual? The Apostle Paul certainly thought so. In 2 Corinthians 11.3, he says, But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the snake's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So did the Apostle John. 
In Revelation, he refers a couple of times to the great dragon that was hurled down, the ancient snake called the devil or Satan. Nor is this the only example of a talking animal in the Bible. God gave voice to Balaam's donkey to restrain the madness of the prophet. And the apostle Peter accepted this as a literal occurrence. He says in 2 Peter 2.16, but he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey. That's really got to humble a man. (laughs) Being told off by a donkey. It's bad enough when it's your wife. And an animal without speech who spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. So these three apostles were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write the way they did. So to reject this account of the fall as literal is to to reject the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Scripture. There are allegories in the Bible, but this is not one of them. So, if we believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God, we have no reason to doubt that this story is history. It's literal events that actually happened. But that doesn't mean it's not also layered with with figurative meaning. Um, But for today, I'm just going to focus on the tactics used by the serpent to turn humanity away from the security of God's covering and drag us into sin. Ephesians 6.11 says, Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. If we are to stand against the devil's schemes... In fact, before I go on to there, something I just want to point out there. We can stand up to the devil's schemes. We are not powerless against the devil. God created Satan. God gave man authority over creation. So when Satan enters our world, he is under our authority as sons of God. We can rebuke him. We can cast him out in the name of Jesus through the precious blood of Christ. So remember that. That's no small thing. So if we're to stand against the devil's schemes, we need to know how he operates. This passage gives us a detailed blueprint for how the devil operates. So we can be prepared for battle with our armor on, ready for the attack. Because it will come. In this book, in his book rather, James tells Christians to resist the devil and he will flee. In this short passage, we see how Adam and Eve chose not to resist, but instead fell for the lies of the devil and chose to resist God instead. The passage never doubts that Adam and Eve have free will. They weren't destined to sin. They had a choice because they were made in God's image. So they must have had free will because God has free will. If man did not have free will, it would be wrong to judge him for bad choices. Because if he's not free, they're not choices. And he's not responsible. But man is clearly held responsible here because he does have free will, as we do. I'm sure Paul will tell us all about that next week, about being held responsible. So, the serpent's tactics. If you notice, the snake does not come attacking Eve. It doesn't come trying to snap at her heels. It doesn't try and bite her or strangle her. It doesn't attack her because in all likelihood, she'd have just grabbed the nearest branch or stone and beat it to death. 
Instead, he charms her. He plays to her ego. He undermines the authority of God by questioning God's character. He convinces her that God's laws are for God's benefit and not hers. In her interactions with the snake, she actually adds to God's ban on the fruit as well by adding that she couldn't even touch it or else she would die. That's not what God said. God said, you shall not eat of that fruit. But what she did here is she gave us, added, added a little bit extra on. So when she touches the fruit and nothing happens, she fools herself into believing, God didn't punish me for that, so I can do this. How many of us can relate to that kind of thinking? You know, oh, I won't eat that cake, but it does look nice. But it smells good. I might just have a little whiff. Well, there's no harm in just dipping my finger in the frosting, is there? You know what? That's pretty nice. I'll just have a sliver. Before you know it, you've gone full-on Bruce Bogtrotter. You've stuffed the whole cake into your face and you're feeling sick. It's a silly illustration. And there's nothing sinful about a little bit of chocolate cake, as long as it's in moderation. But the principle is the same. How many of us have a well-trodden path towards repetitive sin? I don't know about you, but I've battled a number of them in my life. Things I did not want to do that seemed to have a stranglehold on me. And I can tell you, there were times where I'd, I'd think to myself, I'd think, you know what, I've not done that in a while. I'm doing pretty well. I must be quite strong now. And my pride over how strong I was and how self-controlled I was, in that state, I would allow the idea to creep back in. I would give it space in my head again. But before I knew it, I was right back where I didn't want to be. The road to sin is more often than not traveled in short steps. Eve is naive and doesn't take into account her knowledge of who God is and her relationship with him. She lets herself be seduced by this idea of being like God. She was already made in the image of God, but she wanted to be like God. Living independently, able to do whatever she wanted without anyone telling her how to live her life. How many times have you heard people say that? You can't tell me how to live my life. It's prevalent today. She stepped outside of his sovereign will and protection, placing her desire to be all-knowing above God and making herself the ultimate authority. So let's look at the way Satan attacks. In this instance, he uses three main attacks. First, he questions God's word. Then he questions God's judgment. Then he questions God's motives. So first, he questions the word of God in verse 1 when he says, did God really say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Which is a misleading question based on a half-truth. He questions God's judgment in chapter 4 when he says, you will not certainly die. Having already opened the door to doubt with this ambiguous question, he then goes straight in with a lie. And because that door is open, she's receptive to it. 
He questions God's motives in verse 5, saying, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil, implying that the reason God doesn't want Adam and Eve to eat the fruit was because he wants to keep it all for himself. He's trying to keep something good from them, which is nonsense. So looking at these three main elements of Satan's approach, we need to look more closely at how Eve responds to them. Because it's impossible to overestimate how important this moment is. The significance of this moment has echoed from that time until the day God comes back. You ever turn on the news and think, man, this world is messed up? I do. Stop watching the news. (laughs) You know, you think of all the things that have happened in history. And you think, how is this world so broken? And it all stems from this moment when mankind stepped out of God's sovereign will. So in response to this three-pronged attack, Wayne Grudem notes three fundamental outcomes. First one, their sin gave a different answer to the question, what is true? God said, if you eat, you will die. The serpent said, no, you won't. Instead of obeying God, Eve decided to conduct an experiment to see if God was truthful. That's, that's what you call alternative facts. You know, it's, we, it's often said we live in a post-truth culture. I googled post-truth because I've heard people say it and just, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have no idea what it meant. <laughs> so I googled it, always thinking. So, post-truth. Relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping opinions than appeals to emotion and personal belief. It seems to me that the serpent was pretty much a master of practicing post-truth and alternative facts. He manipulated Eve by appealing to her desires, and she fell for it hook, line, and sinker. The consequences are that truth for mankind has been fundamentally corrupted, because a lie was taken in the place of the truth. The lie being, you shall not surely die. The truth being, don't eat from it or you will. And from that moment on, mankind has battled with and wrestled with with the truth and lies and continues to fall for them. Romans 1.25 said, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and have worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is praised forever. Amen. Science, philosophy, religion, the legal system have all been occupied fully in trying to establish what the truth is. But the truth is God. I am the way, the truth, and the life. The truth. And outside of God, the best these other things can manage is a pale reflection of a shadow on the ground. In John 18.38, in desperation, Pontius Pilate says, what is truth? The thing is, if he just asked the question, who is truth? He would have seen it staring back at him through the eyes of Jesus. 
Secondly, Eve Sin gave a different answer to the question, what is morally right? God said it was morally right not to eat from the tree. The devil said it was okay. Eve chose to trust her own assessment of what was morally right rather than obey God. Obedience to God is the cornerstone of being on the right side of morality. When Eve chooses to explore a morality based on her own understanding, she separates morality from the the only true source of all moral decision-making, God. In other words, morality is an expression of God, and from the moment her morality is an expression of herself, it is fallen and it is misrepresented, it is misshapen. Because of that, it was colored by self-interest, self-motivation, and what is good for self. Whatever is not God-centered will automatically and always, without fail, become self-centered because it's been separated from the only true selfless being in the universe. Examples of this. Communism. Great idea on paper. Everyone helps everyone. No one's, you know, all that. You know, if, if someone needs money, the person standing next to him gives it. You know, they're actually, it's actually loosely based on biblical principles. But separated from God... Well, look at history. Virtually every communist state has fallen and become corrupt and eventually turning into murderous dictatorships because they arrogantly attempted to replace the rule of God with a system of government. Something my dad says, kingdom without the king just leaves the dumb. When we take God out of the equation, then we end up with relativism, which says, if it feels good, do it. Relative morality is one of the biggest issues in today's society. Tolerance is the new religion. Tolerance of all things but intolerance. Because if morality is personal, then nobody has a right to tell me that I am wrong which is a direct result of the undermining of truth. And it happens to be a very handy get-out-of-jail-free card for people who want to do whatever they want without accountability. It reminds me of the last, last verse of Judges. In those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did as they pleased. That's not a good verse. Unfortunately, it does describe the world we see in secular society. The third thing, their sin gave a different answer to the question, who am I? Being created by God, mankind was always meant to be dependent upon him. But their desire to be like God changed how they saw themselves. So in listening to the serpent, Eve takes God's place as judge and king and decides what is morally right for herself. When we overthrow the rule of God, we have placed ourselves on the throne and we declare ourselves king. We are not, when we say there is no God, we are saying, I am God. 
and declare ourselves the ultimate authority. And in doing so, we elevate ourselves above God, snatch his throne. But doing this does not lead anywhere good. Psalm 14 reminds us that the fool says in his heart, there is no God. So since man's created identity was to be in the image of God, when he breaks that link with God, he automatically has an identity crisis. Whose image am I made in now? When we choose not to live our lives as those made in God's image, we automatically begin to try and fill that void. And we remake God in our own image. And this, from this moment on, idols start to appear. The basis of so many anxieties and stresses and various mental health issues we see in, on the rise today relate to a loss of identity. Uh, who am I? How do I see myself? How do other people see me? What am I worth? And because we fail to see ourselves in relationship to God, we attach our identities to others. You know, oh, well, I'm, I'm a goth. I'm, a, I'm successful. I'm rich. I'm famous. I'm, I, w- I want to be like that celebrity. That's why we have such a strong celebrity culture. We may not bow down at, you know, golden serpents anymore, but we do it for, you know, David Beckham or whoever it is for you. In this age of social media, there's often a massive gulf between who we present ourselves to be online and who we are in real life. Everyone shows the highlight reel. And it's because we don't know who we are unless we are in God, unless we build our foundation of of who we are in our identity through God. People waste far too much energy trying to find themselves, as if looking inwards will somehow provide the key to all of life's problems. But the truth is, who I am is considerably less important than whose I am. My value does not come from anything I am or do. But like everything else in life, value is determined by the price someone is prepared to pay. So even though I don't deserve it, any of us, in fact, none of us deserve it, God saw fit. He saw us as being worth paying for with the price of the blood of Jesus. That's worth knowing. And that is the identity Satan is trying to rob us of. So in responding to Satan, Adam and Eve damaged their relationship with God and all of creation. So let's reread Genesis now. Genesis 3, 1 to 5. But this time, let's read it knowing exactly what's at stake. Now the serpent was more than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or else you will die. 
You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. It's often said that the the best trick the devil ever pulled was making people think he didn't exist. Um, Well, I'm, I'm here to tell you the devil's real. He's as real now as he was then. He's as active now as he was then. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. But here's the good news. Compared to God, he is nothing. Absolutely nothing. He is a created being with no power to create. All he can do is distort and manipulate. He hasn't changed his tactics since this first interaction with Adam and Eve either. Forewarned, it's forearmed, and a predictable enemy is weak. He will attack God's word. The devil does not want you to read this book. It's too dangerous for him. We must know it, we must cherish it, we must hold on to the truth and promises in this book. This is where we get the armor of God from. If Satan had come up to Eve and said, you know, if, 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 and said, oh, you won't surely die, and she knew in her heart what God had said, and she took hold of that, she would have said, yeah, we will, go away. And that would have been the end of it. Arm yourselves. We are in a war. He will attack the idea that God is judge and king, telling us that God has no authority over our lives so we can do whatever we want. This is a lie from the pit of hell. And if we truly hold firm to the truth and promises in that book there, we'll spot this attack coming a mile off. And when he can't convince you that God isn't God, he will try and make you believe that God isn't good. When he can't convince you that God isn't God, he'll try and convince you that God is not good. He will try and warp your understanding of who God is and try and make you question his motives. Well, guess what, Satan? We know. We know your tactics. We're on to you. Be on your guard. That's not just a book. That is a shield. That is a sword. That is the source of the voice of God in your life. If you don't read it, you won't know it. And if you don't know it, you are vulnerable. The danger of studying these few verses is that we only get to do the bad bits. And I wouldn't be serving you well if you were to walk away this morning just feeling depressed about Adam and Eve and the spread of sin throughout creation and and your own sin. Though if you do feel convicted, don't ignore that. But 1 John 3.8 tells us that Christ came to destroy the works of the evil one. The result of Genesis 1-5 to is that sin spread throughout humanity. But the power of the gospel is this, that where sin abounds, grace is still more abundant. And we can live in victory over sin. Even though Adam and Eve were defeated, Because of the transforming power of Jesus who carried our sins to the cross, we can walk 
in victory. Thank you, Lord. Amen.